You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Internet Wanderers, welcome back to another episode of Real Psych. I am Dr. J.D. Barton, and I am a licensed clinical psychologist. And I am Dr. Joanna Witkin, and I'm a cognitive neuroscientist. Real Psych is your favorite podcast, where we share our gorgeously thoughtful opinions on the psychological phenomena that are playing out in all of your favorite movies. (laughs) JD, will there be learning? Oh, yeah. Will there be science? And how? Will there be delightfully informal, explorational, informational conceptualizations from two best friends who would be talking about this anyways? Oh, you better believe it. You betcha. You betcha. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, for sure. (laughs) That's what I thought you were going. This is, we're doing it. We're doing it. Let's, let me get to your energy level. <laughs> I'm cultivating. I, don't know that you need to. I know. I, know I mean, the, I never, I never get there. I never will get there. I want to get there. I'm there I in don't my know heart. That you should even want to get here. Do you think I it's think fun it's for me, Joanna? Do you think it's just a blast? <laughs> it's a burden. It's a curse. Was Listen. there like a curse placed on you? Listen, I have camp counselor energy. I always have. I always will. <laughs> like I re- one time was talking about like other jobs that I could have if I wasn't a psychologist, and I was like, cruise director. <laughs> I have like sad camp kid energy who's like very content uh, occupying herself. Like she just like randomly got a rash. (laughs) Always a rash. Always. She just got some weird rash. And then you're like, uh, stress induced eczema. (laughs) It's always something. It's always something. Um, I need more milder detergent. You know, um, I went to a college that has this like unbelievable like freshman orientation program or first year orientation program because it's for transfers too. And uh, part of the orientation, I was an orientation leader actually. I was the of coordinator. I, I, I was. Again, I have I have camp counselor energy. But one of the things that they did as an activity, like one of the parts of the orientation was like a three day long camping trip. 
And Amazing. I was not a camp. I, w- I didn't do the camping part because it was a very, I went to a very like outdoorsy school, the University of Puget Sound. Shout out loggers. <laughs> um, and uh, this three day camping trip though, there were all sorts of like, uh, you could do like open water kayaking or like advanced backpacking or like, you know, stuff, right? You could do these like very intense like things. And I went and it was like, sign up for what you want. Then I spent three days doing theater games. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Tufts had a, a like a wilderness uh, orientation mm-hmm. option oh, yeah, yeah. as well. Uh-huh. There was like that. There was like a computer science one. And then there was one, which is what I did, which was like, why don't you just come to campus a little bit early, get a head start on packing, just give yourself a little extra time to settle <laughs> in. And I was like, that one. That one. <laughs> That's for me. I get more um, time to organize. Uh, have you seen the movie Bros, by the way? No, not yet. It's so on my Bros to-do. just came out, y'all. Go see it. Go support queer cinema. It's hugely important. Um, it's a big deal. Uh, but there's a line that I'm going to spoil for you because it made me think okay. of you. But it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's um, yeah, Deborah Messing's worried she might get canceled because she just publicly stated that she is the Viola Davis of Tufts. <laughs> And I was like, Tufts! Oh my gosh, I love when they get love. I Listen, go birds. What's Jumbos. The? Jumbos? Yep, it's an elephant. Um, P.T. Barnum was one of our like original board of trustees. The Jumbos. So, yeah. Remember when like having uh, lettering like on the back of your sweatpants was like a big yeah. thing? Yeah, juicy. Yeah, so Jumbos was like a lot of girls would wear sweatpants with jumbo on their butt and that was like a thing that people were like yeah listen and and across their chest too but it's more (laughs) (laughs) i remember the first time i saw somebody in like juicy sweatpants that just said juicy on the butt and at the time like i was only thinking of like i don't know gross things well, I was just, I've never been more scandalized, right? And you, like, think about, like, what, I don't know, what you see people wearing. Like, at the time, it was, like, velour sweatpants that are suggestive. Like, yes. I've never seen anything so scandalous. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I loved the SNL sketch where they did the, like, business wear, but it said, like, it said, like, juicy or, like, things on the <laughs> butt. What was it called? Um, I have no idea. You didn't see this? It's a Tina Fey sketch that feels so in your in your. I know. Eye. I I need to look this up. This is embarrassing for me. Body business, I think, is what it was Body called. Business. Body business. <laughs> um. Yeah, and it just said like like it was like a like a like a little two piece like skirt suit like tweed, and then on the butt it just said like delicious, like things <laughs> like that. <clears throat> yeah, it was like business wear, but it said like. That I think it's, it's called a body real, fitness. Real cultural moment. Real cultural moment. Um, speaking of culture, should we get to a film? And yeah, I can, let's like I watch can a pick movie. One? All right, I picked a movie. Guess. Congratulations! <laughs> Go. <laughs> uh, I picked a movie from the year two thousand twenty-one. Oh, okay. And it is a drama. Okay. And the tagline is, every family has its own language. Is it Coda? 
It is Coda. Yay, I did it. You did it. <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I have not seen this, but I have wanted to see this. Do you know what? I have not seen this, but I have wanted to see this. Amazing. Well, you're, aren't you know some American Sign Language or you know? I do. I know, uh, I know a conversational amount of American Mm -hmm. Sign Language. Um, I did, uh, work on a musical that was, uh, where half the cast was deaf and half the cast was speaking, um, and, and hearing. And, um, so I learned, all of us had to learn all of our lines in ASL and the songs in ASL. Um, so everything was in ASL, but also uh, spoken or sung. Um, and actually, this is nightmare name drop. Actually, a, a good number of the main cast of this film were in that musical. Um, I've never seen the movie, oh. though, because I'm a terrible supporter of people. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I'm really excited to see this. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. I'm I mean, deafness and, and like working with deaf folks is what brought me to University of Miami. It, yeah. was, a, it was really central and like something that uh, I wanted to do. I was working on a study at the University of Miami that was um, one of the sites for a huge like um, longitudinal study called, the, called, co- co- called Child Development After a Cochlear Implant, the CDACI study. Um, and I got to work uh, with some of that data and spend some time on that in the year that I was there. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, I love deaf folks and my deaf friends. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. I'm very excited about it. Troy Kotzer won an Oscar for playing mm-hmm. it. Troy Kotzer was also in the play. Uh, amazing. And uh, yeah, so I'm really excited. Um, I'm n- we're not going to have anybody on as a guest this week, even though I'm like dropping names as though I'm cool. Um, but, uh, we're going to talk about it and I'm really excited. I mean, I feel like you have some expertise, like in the research you've done. I have like not explored the space at all. So I'm excited to kind of dig in and well, from what I know about this, I mean, this does feel aligned with a lot of your experiences in life because it's about the child who is the not, who is the hearing member of an all deaf Mm. family. Mm-hmm. And so the the sort of this daughter in the family is translating for parents, interpreting for parents, is sort of put in this parentified child role at different times in different ways. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And so I'll be, I mean, I, I far be it for me to tell you what you're going to think of the movie. But I do think that there may be some places where you are like, for oh, sure, I maybe so. do have some yeah. expertise. <laughs> I've done my 10,000 hours. Yeah. Yeah. Exciting. Okay. Awesome. I'm excited to watch this. Yeah. So... Let's get to it. Yeah, we will be right back. Yeah, bye. Bye. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back. We're back. Oh my goodness, what a lovely movie. Yeah, tell me what what you think. I think I you know, I feel like we've been doing like fun comedies, things in our wheelhouse, you know, like really like comfort zone things and those I'm always like it's going to be a great time. Um, and then some of the more serious movies that we've done, I've been like, this is harder to watch. Right. Um, but this movie, like, it was, it's just so lovely and just like such a good heartwarming story. And just like, you know, obviously there's, there's a lot, you feel yeah. empathy for like the, the pain yes. that the family goes through, like all of the discrimination and all of the way that, ways that like. This town cannot accommodate them at all. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that was like in my heart, you know. But I, yeah. it just was such like a lovely story. And I just, you know, and it ended like on such a heartwarming kind of note and mm-hmm. um, made me real happy. So it was, it was like a lovely treat to watch. Yeah, I mean, this movie made the world happy, right? It won, yeah. it was nominated for three Oscars. Mm-hmm. It won all three of them. Mm-hmm. So it won Best Supporting Act- Actor for Troy Kotzer mm-hmm. as the dad. Uh, it won Best Screenplay. And it won Best Picture. Yeah. It won Best Picture um, at the Oscars. It's also the first, uh, just a side little trivia note, it's the first film put out by a streaming service to win Best Picture. Yeah, uh, amazing. Ever. Yeah, because it was put out by Apple TV+. Plus. Um, and what a best picture it was. What a best picture it was. You know, um, and we'll go into this a bit in the synopsis. Do you know what movie this reminded me of that we did on the pod? Uh, uh, Real Women Have Curves? Because that's what it yes. reminded me of. Yeah. It's so Real Women Have Curves. Yeah. Uh, it's very, it's very, very that. I honestly uh, had a very similar reaction to how real women have curves. Yeah. And that I felt really, really torn by the sort of centering this narrative of this deaf family and centering it on this hearing person. Yeah. And how her family and the culture of her family is such like a hindrance to her development and growth. And I felt, so I felt very, very, uh, stifled, uh, in that, but, uh, but let's let's do the synopsis, yeah, and then yeah. we'll go into we'll go into some of my history with with deafness and work you know and working within this community. I talked a little bit before the break, but I'll I'll share some some details and some of my sort of um, my relationship to this material in general because yeah. it is uh, storied. Yeah, it is it is storied. It is a story. I yeah, I have relationships to the community. 
relationships to the cast. <laughs> like, I felt, I felt so many things. I also will say I wept. I wept while watching oh, yeah, this movie. yeah, of course. Yeah. Like, I had a, I watched this, I finished it 10 minutes before I had a client, and I fully had to run to the bathroom to just make sure that I wasn't crying visibly before I did <laughs> therapy with someone. Um, Therapists, they're people too. Therapists are people too, and they watch movies. Yeah. With scenes. If that's one thing that we get across on this podcast, that's. Is that I'm therapists happy. watch movies too? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, synopsis. Synopsis. What happened? So we, you know, enter on Ruby is uh, a daughter in this family. Great name. Uh, And she is the only hearing person in a, you know, nuclear family of people who Mm -hmm. um, are deaf. And uh, Mm -hmm. so there's a brother and then there's a mother and father. Uh, The father and the brother are fishermen. Um, yeah, they live in Gloucester. I I noticed Gloucester. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, Gloucester, uh, Massachusetts. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, like fishing town, fishing village, and uh, you can see, you know, they're they're hard workers, they're manual workers. She's like doing mm-hmm. this on the boat, and then goes straight to school because she's still in high school. She's a bit of an outcast. She has one friend, but people mm-hmm. make fun of her because she's just definitely, you know, between. Basically, like, working, uh, they make comments about, like, what she smells like, and they make comments about her. She smells like fish, because she fishes on the boat with them in the morning, and Mm -hmm. then gets dropped off to go to school, and, like, goes straight to school from from fishing. Yeah, I mean, she gets made fun of for her family being deaf, and, like, when Mm -hmm. she started school, apparently she um, didn't speak properly, because she, Mm -hmm. all she knew was her family, and so... Mm -hmm. Uh, that kind of follows her around. You can tell she has a history of bullying. Um, and she's yeah. kind of this, like, wanting to stay under the radar, um, mm-hmm. be invisible, kind of, and not draw attention to herself because the attention she has received to date has been pretty negative from her Negative, peers. yeah. Um, and, but then you see uh, she is interested in choir. And even in the first scene, like, on the boat, she's singing along to the radio. She's having a good time. Mm-hmm. And I mean, she has a lovely voice. The actress like, has a beautiful voice. And so she's actually kind of, you see, she's kind of likes this boy. And she sees that he, you know, chooses choir as an elective. Um, right. And so that kind of, I guess, coupled with the fact that she does genuinely like to sing, she, she chooses to join choir. Yeah. Um, and shows up to first class and... Um, there's like this super intense teacher who, uh, you know, is having everyone try out and, you know, to see where to place them. And she has horrible stage fright and is afraid of being made fun of and runs out of the room. She can't even sing in front of, um, her, her peers. So she runs Mm -hmm. out of the room, uh, comes back later, apologizes, like in kind of Explains a little bit. He sees, you know, something in her and kind of can tell that, uh, you know, there's there's something about her. Her interest is genuine and and calls her Bob Dylan uh, because of David Bowie, like some comment about Bob Dylan. Yeah, he once said that he his voice sounds like wood sand and glue glue. sand and glue yeah but basically it was like do you have something to say because that matters more than just like having a right and bob dylan you know one of the most famous 
singer-songwriters of all time. Yeah, and, you know, she definitely does have something to say. You can see her. Yeah. They do yeah. a good job of, like, paint, you know, like, what her family life is like. It's different from probably what a lot of the viewers of this movie's family life was like. And Yeah. Um, yeah, let me turn it over to you. You can continue. So she uh, auditions for, she shows up, she does choir. Uh, uh, she, she comes back and it's sort of from this sand and glue conversation. She like is now willing to like get sort of to try. invested. Meanwhile, her family um, were sort of understanding that they're being sort of ripped off in the process of mm-hmm. selling the fish. So basically the middle, the middle man who is a man uh, who sort of buys the fish off of the fishermen is just just giving them nothing for for what it's for what it's worth. There's all these sort of um, uh, there's also they announced that there's something where they're putting um, monitors on the boats that are being like uh, enforced by the government because they need to make sure that they're catching the right kind of fish or they're fishing at the right depths or they're like doing there's all these regulations and so they're there to make sure that this person is. Um, uh, that their boats are all, you know, acting within the regulations. And so that's another thing they'll have to be paying for. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the family in general, you're also seeing a few sort of uh, moments here and there where uh, you're knowing that you're, you're aware that her f- parents are struggling with money. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a scene uh, where she takes her parents to the doctor right. uh, and she's asked to interpret um, while her parents are at the doctor and her dad is explaining his like tremendous discomfort in his genitals and then saying his wife has it as well. And they're looking at the doctor and then he says, You're, you have jock itch and this is very normal, especially to pass it between partners. You know, no sex for two weeks. And she has this scene where she says, uh, he says no sex ever again. You can never have sex right, again. Right, right. And then of course they like, she uh, finally adjusts it and corrects it. And, the, and then she's like, no sex for two weeks. And both of her parents are like, that's impossible. Like, right? Like, yeah, can't, like they're, they're, they can't even do that. You see the, the role that she has to take um, in terms of being, uh, you know, their, their ears almost in the world. And like, because people yeah. are not accommodating. And so she uh, is put in kind of this, this role where she has to, yeah interpret and communicate you know information to them and you know oftentimes it is like inappropriate between like you know what a parent and a child should be talking about but because it's you know she's kind of put in this role um it it, yeah they they illustrate examples where it's like yeah that's like not usually what you would see a child doing for their parents right Right. And they sort of do this in several places where she, as the, as you know, she starts to take choir more seriously. She's, you know, this, this teacher is telling her she could go to Berkeley college of music, which is in Boston nearby. It's a very good prestigious music school. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, she thinks she's really got a shot, but she's going to need to take this very seriously. Simultaneously, she's being asked to do more at home because her parents uh, decide to leave uh, the, leave the sort of standard uh wholesaling fish thing and do their own co-op where they sell directly to the consumers so they can make more money, but they need more people giving them their fish. It's a whole long it's a lot thing more that work, we're skipping yeah. over. It's a lot more work, but so she needs to be there. They've got news people, like all of this. She's, she, you know, it's a very classic, torn. like torn between yeah. two worlds, right? Does yeah. she pursue her music? Which of course, like, of course it's fucking music, right? Like, of course it's music. Living the mom, like, the I mom, just love geometry. Right. Like the mom makes a comment of like, 
if she was blind, then she would have taken up painting or something. Right. Of just like right. this she's is like, mom, this isn't about you. Right. Like she the the mom doesn't take her seriously at first about this being like a genuine interest. Um, right. She thinks it's to spite her. Exactly. Or yeah. And you you see the tension there, but the closeness and you know how much they depend on each other and love each other, yeah. but it's it's complicated uh, because she has to really take on this role and and serves such an important function for the family and they've kind of come to depend on her but she's also starting to consider her own dreams that her parents kind of don't know how to uh make space for like yeah yeah and so Um, yeah there's like there's conflict ensues mm -hmm. conflict ensues um and then the, you know, it sort of builds to this place where uh, they, they have this observer on the boat. Fun fact, shout out to my sister, Debbie. My sister, Debbie, actually used to be an observer on fishing boats in the Bering Sea. No way. Um, and she's actually somebody who recommended this movie to me. That's amazing. Uh, so she's like, there's also a scene with an observer. So they have an observer, the sort of uh, the, the low point of the film, they have an observer on the boat when she does not show up. She's mad at the family. She's frustrated. She doesn't show up. They have the observer on the boat. And because they don't have a hearing person on the boat, who can respond to radio calls, who can do these different things. And they don't tell the observer. They're sort of cold to her and don't speak to her. And they finally have to say, like, we're deaf. And she essentially reports them to the Coast Guard. Yeah. Because uh, it's a safety issue that there's nobody who can respond to radio calls that can hear another boat, like, you know, and, like, the boat is, like, moving while they're, you know, so it is important that, like, they be able to engage with the world. But unfortunately, like, you know, it just shows that, like, this world is built for hearing people, right? Mm-hmm. Because like that, that, that these boundaries that we're seeing and there's some, there's some scenes and stuff as well where you see them being very much ostracized within even the fisherman community because yeah. they, aren't, they aren't hearing. Um, and so because this happens, they get a big fine, they get, you know, and they say the only way you can start this up again is if you have somebody who is hearing on your boat. She chooses not to pursue music uh, and to stay with the family. She says, you know, school can wait. School can wait. I'm going to, you know, do yeah, it. Yeah, she sees, like, there's a real need here. This is, like, there's an interesting scene with, like, um, when the Coast Guard intervenes and they get this whole fine and she's kind of taking a break for the day, like, been a teenager for the day um, yeah. and comes back and they're really mad at her and she's trying to, like, kind of say, this isn't my fault, you can't put this on me, but you can see that she feels conflict about that. Of course, as well, yeah. Um, because she did, you know, leave them and, like, not show up and didn't tell them she wasn't going to show up. You know, like, it was... Right. It's a complicated thing. So she, she kind of says, you know, like, she's been not balancing these two things very well. Her teacher kind of refuses to continue working with her because he, he can't mm-hmm. see her demonstrate her commitment to doing this and he doesn't waste his time. And she sees this huge need for her to help her family. And she, yeah, she makes that decision. You know what? This was like, I'm, I'm going to let go of that. College can wait. And I'm going to do this for the family. Yeah. Uh, she has her end of, you know, year or end of semester, like choir concert. She has a lot of solos and her family starts to notice, um, particularly her dad starts to notice they can't hear her. Um, but notice that the audience really pays attention. I mean, our move to tears in her move to duet, tears, like, and just like, yeah, yeah, and that this is something. And so at the 
you know, her after the concert, her dad asks her to sing for him, and he puts his hand on her throat while she sings. Um, and he and the family, like the you know, the time comes for her to you know that the day of her audition is, and they're like, you gotta go, you got, you have to audition, and the whole family drives her to the audition. Mm-hmm. Um, she's very nervous. It, it, you know, she's not really prepared for it in the right ways, but her teacher shows up yeah. and like really saves, saves her in, in a big way. And she looks up and her family has snuck into the balcony up above in the audition to watch her mm-hmm. perform. And she starts signing the, while she's singing. Yeah. And she, you know, the, there's a thing through the whole uh, movie where it's, he's really like, put your feelings into this, like put your emotion into this. In one scene, he asks her actually to express like, how do you feel when, she si- when you sing? And she can only express it through signing. Yeah, which I thought was so powerful. Like what a powerful scene. Yeah. Just like that, that's her first language, right? That's how yes. she is just, yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. And, um, and so, you, you know, then sort of the, the movie finishes as she you know, gets into the school, Uh, you know, she finds out her whole family's there to cheer her on. She gets into the school. um, And then as she's driving away in the car, she stops and runs back. And then um, she hugs the family and her dad speaks and says, go. Mm -hmm. And she gets in the car and goes. And it's like a very emotional kind of thing. And she, of course, goes off to to Berkeley. Also, I love that she got in and her boyfriend didn't. Oh my god, I love that. Like even like she had. There's like a subplot of her like getting this boyfriend, and it's like not important. <laughs> it's not important, which I it's actually like, kind of love. Me too. I like that. It's like y- you know, and you're you see you see her. I mean, it's really like a plot point to be like this is her starting to become her own person with her own desires yeah. and wants and wishes and goals and. Her explore right. that. Just decoration. <laughs> her to explore that and see the consequences of that, but also like it's a really interesting. You see the internal conflict. I think that she has. Yeah. Um. So I I had a very complicated relationship with this movie mm. because I did feel like a lot of this was really showing her family as a hindrance to herself. Right. Um. And that. You know, the the thing I struggled with is they're, they really portray the family as almost helpless without her. And that is not representative of the deaf people that I know. That is not even representative of the deaf people that I know in this movie. Oh, sure, uh, yeah. And, like, you know, there are so many ways. Like, w- when um, when the, the we skipped the, the, her best friend and her brother hook up and they get together in the movie, but we skipped it. It's fine. But there's a scene where, like, he's down and out. He's been, you know, just got in a fight at a bar and they start texting each other mm-hmm. to, to communicate. Mm-hmm. The, like, the number of times that if you don't have an interpreter, a deaf person, there are great apps, actually, where, it, like, you don't even have to text. It'll put your text on the screen and make it big. And like, you can just like show like exactly what you need. And like, there's so many ways um, the, the American disabilities act means that like medical offices have to provide an interpreter for these. You know what I mean? There's so many ways that like they, they really try to silo this family and have them be so on their own adrift without this daughter. And it really frustrated me because like, there's so many moments where it's like, no, like she would, you know, listen, some of the stuff, I understand some of the financial stuff of like, we need you on the boat 
because we need a hearing person and like you have to be there in order to do it so we're not breaking the laws or like ways in which they may be taken advantage of here and there. But it's not like deaf people are helpless. Like yeah, deaf yeah. people are I, are not. I have a, an alternative uh, interpretation of... <laughs> please, 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 please. Because I think the family dynamics are not representative representative of of deaf people in general right but it is representative of a tight-knit family where there is one family member who Mm -hmm. is more dependent on or put in that position yes than others and so this is where that kind of generalizability to like and we talked about this in the intro a little bit too of like children of immigrants or like it's like yes it's a, such a complicated thing, and I actually think they did a good job of illustrating the internal conflict that the family feels as well, yes. which is like, we have grown up, and our family dynamic is in such a way that we have depended on our daughter, put her in this awkward position. We mm-hmm. know that we're doing that because we're seeing her right. struggle to have any kind of dreams or goals for herself. But we need her, and we're used to needing her. And yes, we can adapt. I mean, there's the brother and the dad kind of talk about it too. Like, yeah, we can figure it out. We can, you, we can be. You know, we're not helpless. Like the brother very explicitly says, like, we're. I'm not helpless. I'm the older brother. Like I can do this. And even though you see him struggle, there's a lot of like, uh, there's a lot of like understanding of like he doesn't want to put her in this position. But they have become. It's almost like a codependency thing. or It's like like they are used to needing her. She's used to being needed. Yeah. And it's like this this really complicated kind of dynamic where like they're not helpless, but it's like I don't I don't know how to explain easier it. For them. It's easier. No, yeah, it's it's the thing like they there's a line where she's like I need you to call your grandmother. And she's like, just use the interpreter system or whatever. Like use the phone relay. And she's like, no, that's weird. I want to use you. Right. I, I mean, like, and I think you're right. Like, I've worked with clients. I once had a client say that um, his parents were paying his college tuition because he was their retirement plan. And the amount of pressure <laughs> on him, right? Like, like you, right, even as I say it, you, like, exclusive. smile yeah. and start laughing. That you're like, yeah, of course, right? right? Where it's like, no, we don't need a retirement. You're going to pay for us, right. right? Like, you're... And so they're putting this on, like, a, this is, you know, when I was working at a college, right? And it was, like, and it was like this college student who also was having to interpret for his parents all the time or, like, do I mean, it's funny that they were, stuff. they were explicit about it because it's, like, that is a thing, but it's, like, you don't talk yeah. about it. Like, this family is, like, out loud. I just feel like this family is, like, we need you, but they don't want to, like, you know, like, they're all trying to, like, figure out what exactly is the right dynamic. And yeah. How like where do where do we land ourselves? Even like Ruby is like, I have no dreams. Like how did that happen? You know, like it's like right. It's a it's nobody's fault, right? It's just like, yeah. but it's like they have to navigate. It's not your fault, the, but it is your burden, right? Like they're they're all mm-hmm. navigating that now, and it's very uncomfortable to acknowledge what is the dynamic we found ourselves in. And yeah. are we acting more helpless than we are? Or are we acting more like, uh, what is it, like St. Ruby, right? Like the brother was calling her like, yes. like yeah. uh, all sanctimonious or like uh, uh, the saint complex or whatever of like yeah. you don't martyr need to save complex, us. right? Yeah, like yes. it's like, 
does she she plays into that role? She has put in that role? Like both are true. And how do you yeah. navigate that? And so totally. I don't think that's like a I guess I would say I thought that that dynamic happens in lots of contexts that is broader than disability or like whatever. Um, I think, yeah, I I think it can be too nuanced, you know, to like for people to see this and be like, oh, like deaf people can't do anything. You know, like, I don't know. I think like that's kind of dangerous. But like, I don't know. I, I just saw it as such a broader dynamic issue that was really interesting than like something about saying something about deafness specifically I guess right one of the things I really enjoyed about the film was sort of what you were just mentioning as we were finishing up the synopsis which is um which is that she like her first language is American Sign Language Mm -hmm. and it's a really common misconception that American Sign Language is English right with signs like right. the, like it's a one-to-one word-to-word when American Sign Language has its own grammatical structure mm-hmm. it has its own stylistic like interpretation it has there are ways to yell with your hands and curse with your hands and make jokes with your hands and it, and it elicits sarcasm with your hand like there's it is so much beyond it is not a one-to-one kind of right. thing right and so I really appreciated that um, they uh, that they gave those moments that like she finally connects to the emotion when she starts signing yeah. and really that like this is her first language like deafness aside you know this is the culture she was raised in mm-hmm. and like that is what like it, you know what I mean it's not about being hearing or, or otherwise and it is you know it would make sense that she would uh, have some speech delays as a kid right. coming from a non-speaking household however she wouldn't have speech deficits in her brain most likely which we can sort of touch yeah, on a little uh, bit yeah fun fact though too is I had like an accent <laughs> did you? yeah <laughs> cause my dad was like in the city 14 hours a day you know like he was like working yeah. a lot um, so I was around my mom, like she was my primary caretaker, and yeah, I yeah. like all three of us had like little things that we said weird, and <laughs> did you speech there? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it makes it's sense, like a right? thing. Yeah, it's, it's true. Yes, it's of course it's who it's 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 influence. I I was I was really bummed that the the emotional climax of the film is when her father speaks and says go, that it was like no like he. he like he could say this more importantly in mm-hmm. ASL, right? Mm-hmm. Like for him to like, for him to be like, no, let me cross over into this like English like spoken thing. I was like, yeah, <laughs> I think that almost went over my head, but I think that's an interesting observation of like, was that sending the message that it wanted to? Well, and you know, and here's the thing, like the this movie. So I, I did actually also some research before we even get into the like psychological research. I did some research just into like, how did the deaf community feel about this movie? Yeah. And the deaf community is actually very, very split. Right. Some folks are thrilled to see like this deaf representation. I mean, now there's after this film, there's now been two Academy Award winners who are deaf actors. Marley Matlin. Mm hmm. Uh, who won for Children of a Lesser God in the 80s, and now Troy Kotzer, who won for this film. That's the totality of deaf actors who have won, you know, best actor Mm -hmm. um, in the Oscars. 
Uh, this was written by a hearing person. It was directed by a hearing person. It's also from the point of view of the hearing family member. Yeah. Right? So there, So it is, it is a story about growing up with deaf family, mm-hmm. but it is not... Uh, necessarily centered on deafness right and it is not actually centered on the experience of a deaf person right and so there are some things you know that that um you know some people you know really did struggle with they they felt like without including use of interpreters or phone apps or or um you know many people marley matlin is capable of speaking right uh, and she she lip reads very very well as many deaf people are and can and they chose to have the family um not be speakers yeah and that's okay they um there are families where where people are not speakers and that is you know that is part of their identity part of their experience um i i've actually troy kotzer i know does not choose to speak he always chooses to use an interpreter actually fun fact that like is a real overlap that is just a full name drop troy kotzer story that i obsessed with when I was in rehearsals with him we had an interpreter talking about um, that like for talking uh, or interpreting for Troy about uh, his experiences and his pride as a deaf person mm-hmm. and he said uh, he said he first turned to her and he said I want you to interpret everything I'm about to say and she's saying this to the room and she's like okay he wants me to say you know okay I want you to say everything I'm about to say and he says I think every woman should date a deaf man at some point in her life because when a deaf man goes down on you, he doesn't know when to stop, so he'll just keep going and going <laughs> and going, which actually felt so appropriate to this character. Like, it felt very, like, Troy, and it was a very, like, it was, a, you know, it was a funny, like, sex-positive thing to yeah. say and just a great way to be like, no, deafness, that is my sexual, like, superpower. Like, right, please, right. please. Um, and so Troy, like, you know, is a funny, funny guy. But also... Um, you know, Daniel as well uh, is deaf and mute and chooses not to speak uh, or, or is not capable. I haven't, you know, but uses an interpreter, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so different families have different spaces. But this the, the, a lot of folks in the deaf community were like, why you got to make them so different? Right. When like we don't, you know, and, and so this sort of leads into part of what I um, what I did some research on, which is um, the idea of deafness as culture mm-hmm. um and so the deaf community capital d deaf um views itself very much as a cultural community you can look at they they center this around lingua culture right they use american sign language um there are hearing and deaf people that are part of the deaf community capital d deaf community mm-hmm. such as children of deaf adults um there are lots of um folks that uh, you know, the, the the deaf community is really rich. It is really close-knit. Um, it is small, uh, but it is it is very proud. And so there are, there are many people within the deaf community, um, in particularly in cases where um, audition or like hearing aids, cochlear implants are available, that really view the cochlear implant as the death of the deaf community. Interesting. Where there's a real backlash against using hearing aids, using cochlear implants to essentially correct deafness mm-hmm. because, and this was said to me once, um, you know, somebody, that, that a, deaf, uh, a deaf friend once said to me, yeah, if someone told you, hey, I have this device where it'll fix you from being gay, congrats. Yeah. How would you right. feel about that, right? right? When it's like, where it's essentially, and, and deaf folks often don't even identify as disabled. Right. And they're like, no, this is just... 
my culture. This is my experience, right? Like queer folks, again, something we are born with. It is a community we identify with. It is something that many people, if they had a choice, would I like my child to be one way or another, would likely not choose, you know, this thing. And so to sort of the the idea of fixing, you know, as you were made is um, kind of a harmful assumption that everybody would want this. Yeah, yeah. It's it's messy. It's really, really messy. When I was leaving, uh, you know, working on Spring Awakening, it was just before I went on to University of Miami and I was doing research on deafness. And I had several friends that I was like, oh, I'm doing this research on, you know, cochlear implants. And they were like, what? And it was it was essentially me being like, hey, I'm doing research on like gene therapy for gay people and how to make the the gay gene go away. They were like, why are you doing that? That's this is bad. This is bad research. This is harmful to our community. Right. Yeah. That's really interesting. I mean, I think identity is so important and, you know, it's, it's this thing, right? What's the default identity is like, right. Cis, white, straight hearing. Yeah. Hearing like seeing, uh, Mm -hmm. like I, my, I guess, uh, experience, I dated someone who had a stutter and so I like, was in uh introduced to the kind of stuttering community and it was a similar um perspective or it was kind of divided between like how do you feel about like speech therapy or there's uh, there are devices that can like help provide mm-hmm. uh auditory feedback that for some people helps like reduce mm-hmm. stuttering and it's like this really interesting uh yeah, like like people are divided on like, why do you want to fix the way that God made you, right? Or, or the way that you were created, right. and you know you should be embracing, like, uh, you know, uh, not choosing different words because you know you won't. It's like substitution, like, like choosing different words that you know you won't stutter on, and just like allowing yourself mm-hmm. to block or like, you know, stutter over a word, and just being like, this is how I communicate. And this is how I, this is this how is, I am. Yeah. yeah. And so um, it kind of reminds me of that, of just like, that is a really difficult uh, a concept, honestly, like for people who don't experience that or are not in those communities, like to understand, I think, to be like, yeah, but it makes perfect sense, right? That people, like, it's not, you are losing something from like how you were created, right? It makes sense that pe- right. not everyone would want to choose that right that and yeah like not everyone's walking around like man i wish i you know like was this you know like didn't have this like sensory disability or you know speech issue yeah. or whatever like i would like all the time that's like yeah. not a great feeling to have all the time and no. so the opposite and this of sort that of stance is like, yeah. that like the that the that the lack of hearing is somehow sad right is somehow yeah. um pitiable mm-hmm. when you know like I, I love that like she talks about like her dad loves gangster rap because he likes to feel the rhythm he likes to feel the music right he still has the ability to enjoy music it's different yeah in the in that way i i um um, one night after a cast party for that show I did, I, we were out We were out dancing, the hearing and deaf cast, all of us together. And we we would, as we were like, build, one of the easier ways when you're trying to learn 
ASL is like whenever you hear music or when you hear somebody speaking, you try to like, okay, how do I, how do I say this? How mm -hmm. do I sign this? And while, and one of the really common things is like while listening to music, you just start signing what the music is. And I was dancing and signing and like having fun with, with my friends. And my friend Miles looks at me and was like, what do you mean? I thought we are friends. And I was like, what? And I had realized I'd been signing, why can't we be friends? Why can't we be friends? And he was like, we are friends. And I was like, oh, you're right. Those are the words of the song. And sorry, that is a confusing uh, thing to just be signing yeah, in the dark corner say. at a bar. Yeah. Um, but like, the, you know, deaf folks can enjoy music. Deaf folks can enjoy, you know, there, there's, there's a million ways. I mean, look at like uh, all the incredible videos online of like interpreters like going ham on like rap songs uh, yes. and things like that. Like, it's so fun. And they're doing that because deaf people are there right. enjoying the music. Right. Like the, this sort of idea uh, of, the, of it being so sad right um is is what's harmful and so one of the studies i i pulled um is a study by uh madeline chapman and jasper 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 dammeyer from 2016 called the significance of deaf identity for psychological well-being mm. um and so um i'm just going to go over sort of the the rough idea of this but this this study um looked at deaf hearing and bicultural deaf and hearing um or marginal, uh, uh, who identified as neither deaf nor hearing, uh, which could be um, people who are hard of hearing, uh, uh, who, and, and to look at their levels of psychological well-being um, and some other variables. But they did this with 742 adults with hearing loss in Denmark. And what they found was that those with uh, a deaf hearing or bicultural identity, so a real identity in their ability, had a significantly higher level of psychological well-being than those with these marginal identities, that do, those that don't feel a part of the deaf community, don't feel a part of the hearing community, don't feel integrated with others mm. that identify as they do. And so they also found that like um, additional disability or education level um, or even feeling uh, significant, significantly uh, discriminated against uh, all showed like th those indicated their well-being far more than their identity as deaf hearing or bicultural, right? So like the main thing is like uh, level of uh, additional disability, education, and just feelings of discrimination. Like that's what impacts people's well-being. Right. It is not deafness, right? right? Deafness does not make people sad. People aren't sad that they are deaf. Right. And that's so, like that, like for a hearing audio, like I, you know, I think it's important to name, especially we're saying this on a podcast where we, it is not an entirely accessible medium yeah. for our deaf folks. We're working on getting it on YouTube so we can have subtitles uh, and, and captions so that this can be more. Actually, starting next week, we're really trying, but just <laughs> as a heads up, but we're going to try to launch this on YouTube as well so that this can be a more accessible thing yeah. because deafness is not sad. Right. Yeah. That makes total sense. I think like inclusive, like being uh, or feeling like included in a community is protective, yeah. right? I mean, it almost reminds yeah. me of the bicultural, biracial, like mixed studies yeah. that we're looking at where like when you're not either, you know, you don't identify mm -hmm. as hearing or not like, you know, deaf, like you may actually have 
more trouble, like because you don't have yeah. a clear sense of identity, or it's harder for you to cultivate that totally. for yourself. But when you know you do have this sense of community and identity, like having a sense of identity, period, is protective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense to me. Yeah, I love that. So that's that one. Okay. What'd you do? So I was looking at parentification mm. of children. Um, rich. And so parentification. That is rich. Yeah. And that's like, you know, not specific to deafness or, you know, this movie. It's like a thing that yeah. happens in lots of uh, contexts. But it's basically like the reversal of parent and child roles. Um, Mm -hmm. and requires, uh, you know, the child kind of takes on this premature identification with Mm -hmm. the parent's expectations and needs Mm -hmm. um, at the expense of the development of the child's true talents and gifts. This is from Wells and Jones 2010. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I found some, there's like a questionnaire uh, that is kind of interesting that they use to, to assess this and mm-hmm. um, they look at like kind of different factors like just uh, you know there's like one factor of just like perceived fairness so questions like my parents were very helpful when I had a problem or um, you know I felt let down by members of my family I felt caught in the middle of my parents conflicts um, mm-hmm. then there was like emotional parentification so I often felt like a referee in my family. At, at times, I felt I was the only one my mother or father could turn to. Totally. Um, and then, uh, you know, I helped manage my family's financial affairs. Um, yeah. And then there's also like... Your retirement plan. <laughs> right. Instrumental parentification. So um, being asked to look after siblings, um, r- being responsible for physical care of some family member. Right. Um, you know, just like other other kinds of concrete tasks that they were were given. So, um, mm-hmm. this is yeah. So I looked up kind of the consequences of parentification, um, and some of them, you know, was this uh, relationship with shame proneness in adults, mm-hmm. um, and so you know, uh, like childhood parentification associated with shame proneness in adults even when just like guilt proneness is controlled for Mm. um but basically like having this uh lots of like feelings of shame especially when they are thinking what they're doing is selfish or like pursuing other goals right like this is something Mm -hmm. that we did see kind of in this film is her right, grappling, totally. grappling with those feelings totally um but there's also another study uh by vandermill and vingerhoots 2017 that looked at kind of the Classic. positive <laughs> the positive aspects of parentification so you know it is a premature kind of like developmental uh mm-hmm. like need to take premature maturing yeah yeah exactly <laughs> prematurity um and so this study looked specifically at like psychology students and found that mm-hmm. and compared them with humanity students and found that psychology students endorsed a higher level of parentification than humanity students, uh, students, which is something that has been found in 
uh, not just psychology, but like health and medical kind of students yeah, as well. Caring. Y- yeah. And so people that take responsibility for others as a job. Totally. Um, I don't, I mean, like you and I are both in psychology. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, we could have been in the study. I, I think like, uh, there's also, uh, they look specifically at like empathy skills and resilience. And so, mm-hmm. um, they, they looked at like these students higher in parentification, um, and they found that there was higher resilience and higher cognitive empathy but not effective empathy. And so mm-hmm. just to like elaborate a little bit more. Um, so cognitive empathy, which is like, you know, competency and interpersonal skills um, right. and effective empathy, which is like saying, you know, they're not these parentified kind of students are not necessarily more proficient in experiencing the emotions of others. So like the emotional experience. Yeah. The affect. Uh-huh. Yeah. But they, do have this ability to like interpersonally like relate and communicate. Um, totally. And then this higher levels of resilience. Um, and so that, that resilience though can also be like at a cost where they're maybe more resilient, but they also may be more prone to burnout. Um, you know, especially if they have trouble like expressing their own wishes and needs or, Right. Ability to set boundaries is like you know a big a big part of that. So, um, but yeah, there's like these kinds of pos- quote unquote positive consequences of parentification, mm-hmm. which can be seen as like resilience and some types of empathy. Yeah, which is I love that. I mean, I love anything that takes a strengths based approach. Yeah. Instead of being like, oh, you're messed up, bye. Right. And being like, no, like these are. It also is giving these are you the coping these strategies you developed, and guess what? They are coping strategies, right? It makes a lot of sense that, like, you know, particularly like adolescence or things like that, where you're supposed to be, where the d- developmental, like a typically development, developing a typically developing adolescent is supposed to just be like very self-involved, but right. an adolescent who's um, you know grown up where they've had these additional responsibilities, these parentified spaces they have to be thinking about people other than them. Yeah. Um, and so like it makes it makes total sense. And it also makes sense to me why they would be like, but you know what I'm not going to connect to? The emotion of what you're experiencing. What I am going to connect to is the mental like gymnastics I need to do cognitively to get through this. Yeah. Because I cannot connect to you emotionally I mean, with where you're at. That's protective, right? That's like a survival. It's so protective. Like, you cannot be uh, doing absolutely. that. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I totally. Think that makes It makes a lot sense. of sense. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I did some research on is kind of sibling relationships, um, because I thought the relationship between Ruby and her, what was the brother's name again? Leo. Leo. I thought their relationship was really interesting, especially because she, you know, there's a gender difference there, like, like, you know, and Mm -hmm. he's, he's the older brother, like, would she... Uh, states at one point in the movie that he should be handling things and and taking care of things and not needing her and Mm -hmm. she's the younger sister and so it's like an interesting dynamic there and I looked at um, you know more broadly like just siblings of children with disabilities Um, Mm -hmm. and so there were some studies that looked at you know increased for like internalizing kind of symptoms 
um, like mm-hmm. anxiety, depression. Um, but there were studies that said that sisters were more often effective, affected by this than brothers, um, mostly because of like gender roles of like caretaking and they tended to have more caretaking responsibilities kind of thrust upon them. Um, wow. And then in terms of like self-esteem, younger siblings and sisters were like more mm-hmm. likely to have lower self, like the lowest self-esteem scores um, in terms of like the different types of siblings, um, which was really interesting. There was also uh, another study that looked at in uh, an Iranian population mm-hmm. uh, of siblings with siblings of children with sensory disabilities. So they looked at 23 siblings of children with blindness, 15 siblings of children with deafness, and 53 siblings of quote unquote like typically developing children. Um, okay. And they looked at these four kind of dimensions. One was conflict, so how much do you and the sibling disagree and quarrel with each other? Um, Status and power, so how much do you help the sibling with things he or she cannot do? Um, Warmth and closeness, how much do you and the sibling go places and do things together? And then rivalry, how much do you and the sibling compete with each other? So so something interesting is that, like, there's conflict and status-power dynamic came up. But there wasn't significant differences with like warmth and closeness and rivalry. There's not this like this like mm-hmm. negative competition or uh, right. negative consequences to like their ability to be close. But there was conflict because mm-hmm. there's differences between these two siblings that they needed to navigate. And there were some right. status power, uh, you know, dynamics in play that caused some of this conflict, which you saw in the film as well, right? Where she could communicate yeah. in some scenario situations where he couldn't as effectively mm-hmm. communicate, even though he wanted to and and told her he right. could. Um, he did, you know, struggle in in some of the the scenarios that we saw, but also, like you said, he did completely fine. Like he can lip read more than the parents, it seems, and was texting mm-hmm. and like you know is on Tinder all the time. Like he seems like he does <laughs> fine, um, but like yeah. it's it was an interesting. I did see some of those power, like, dynamics kind of come up between them because he does probably feel a certain way as the older brother. Um, and yeah. So, yeah. So, I thought those two studies or, like, those two, just, like, the sibling relationships were really interesting in how they were depicted. Yeah. I mean, I like that, like, th- this seems like another example of, like, when we think of the, like, um you know, diversity within group versus diversity between mm-hmm. group where it's like diversity within group is always greater than diversity between group. Like we try to, you know, so this idea of like these, these, you know, children with siblings with disabilities are like able to experience their, their siblings first and foremost as their right. sibling, right? Yeah. Where they have like very similar levels of, of closeness or frustration or things. And there may be, you know, um, and there's there's actually a good amount of research on on this because um, I did uh, I, my dissertation is also on um, a study on children and families uh, who or like children who've been hospitalized in the intensive care unit and mm-hmm. their families and there's a lot of research as well on like kids who are chronically mm-hmm. ill and their siblings and like those relationships and a lot of it like the sibling relationship is actually great the relationships often between the parents and the kids yeah. gets really can get yeah, really really strained. Totally. 
because they that the kids see the different dynamics, but often the relationship between siblings is very mm-hmm. normal. Um, it's the relationship of like parents treating the, the kids right. differently that causes the thing. Right. Um, yeah. I loved the sibling relationship in this yeah, movie. Yeah, I did too. I, I thought, thought it was, like, was really... Really well done. Because it's like, yeah, they are... Really well done. They love each other. They're close. But they also get on each other's nerves. And like, they're just... They're, it's like... Yeah, I, I especially loved it. it. Wasn't even like a like when he like I love that he was mad that she was being right. a martyr. Where he was, it wasn't even like a like silent you know frustration or like feeling guilt or shame or any of these things. He was like, no, like fuck yeah. this. Like, what yeah. are you doing? No, like go. You're you're good at this right. thing. Yeah, like, it was like it. get was out of here. Like some you know frustration about like I should be able to hand this, handle this. I can handle this, and you're not letting me. And also. Yeah. I know that you're good at this and want you to pursue. Like, it was so, like, both, right? And, like, I, I, no one's asking you to be the one. Well, I guess mom is really asking. But, like, like I'm not asking you to stay here and figure this or out at least, like, like, yeah, like, she need highlighting that, that she should own her choice. Yeah. And that she is choosing to f- step into that role. Even if yeah. that is what's being asked of her, she's also saying yes to doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, you know, and the, the thing is that like this, the, the perceptions of disability and the perceptions of otherness, like as, as we've been talking about in all these studies, right, are, it's that perception that is often so, so harmful. The last thing I did my research on, um, was actually, I, t- to be honest, I've done a lot of deafness research. I, you know, worked in a lab that was studying uh, child development after cochlear implant. Like I've spent a lot of time on this and it was a real like wake up call. I joined, I went to the university of Miami to do deafness research because I was so passionate Mm -hmm. about it. I was so, I felt so um, connected to the deaf community and it was really important to me to be learning. Uh, And I went and I remember the first time I was asked to like do a draft for a paper for publication about the, uh, the CDA CI study Uh, I put together, uh, which is a study where they did IQ tests and like social tests and like uh, linguistic development tests and all of these things on children who'd had cochlear Mm -hmm. implants. Uh, And so it was like learning about how they compare to a typically developing um, peer Mm -hmm. set, right? And I put together this thing, this, this, you know, lit review. I spent days and days writing this lit review. It was the first thing I was asked to do by my advisor and, uh, and I put together this lit review that I felt reflected like the state of assessment and mm-hmm. deafness. And I showed it to uh, my advisor and she was like, JD, everything you're saying here is invalidating every other paper that has been written about this study. You need to like write me a new one and you're not allowed to use a single one of these sources. So essentially just like shutting down discourse because this is a nationally funded uh, study. We need to be contributing to the literature, not invalidating all the work that's come before us. And that is sort of what I wanted to talk about a little bit in my last bit, where I just pulled, I pulled one paper. There are hundreds of papers, and this is similar to what we talked about last week with divorce, right? Where it's really important to be thinking about the tone and the, the motivations and the stance, the point of view of the people that are mm-hmm. writing this. So this is an article from 2005 uh, by uh, an author named McKay Vernon, uh, and the title is 50 Years of Research on the Intelligence of Deaf and Hard of Hearing Children, 
a, uh, a review of literature and discussion of implications. Both of these articles that I've said, by the way, are also available in full uh, for you to read um, if you want to. But essentially, this is a researcher that in 2005 really did some incredible work just laying into the entire system. So if you go back and you look at the history of deaf children uh, in our school system, right? So IQ tests have really sort of existed in, in like popularity for about the last mm -hmm. hundred years. And we've used IQ tests ever since their like, you know, um, what's the word? Their genesis, I'll say that, yeah. that works. Uh, ever since uh, they showed up on the scene, we've been like, great, this is a great way to objectively rate people. Uh, only trouble is, as we've talked about before, right? Like it is based, uh, it is, they're almost all developed by straight hearing mm -hmm. white people, able-bodied, like, you know, all of these things, right? It, they're such biased things. So if you, you know, if you test a black person or um, a person who learned English as a second language on like a, uh, the, the Wexler assessment for intelligence, they will score lower because the things that they have under here and like in terms of what they deem to be common knowledge or linguistic structure or like these different things, right? Like the way in which we treat people impacts the way in which people interact with mm -hmm. the materials. So like it's important to know that like there are no non-biased right. assessments. And so there's a very long history of deaf folks um, in the U.S. and around the world being put into special education classes because, quote, deaf people have lower IQs, oh my God. right? And so, like, there's all these overlaps where, like, guess what? If you're doing a linguistic fluency test with a deaf kid or even a, a kid who's deaf who's had a cochlear implant who lost years of, you know, auditory development – they might score lower. Deaf kids are more likely to test uh, as having ADHD, um, which is interesting when, uh, you know, for, for hearing people, we get about 70% of our sensory input from mm -hmm. vision. Uh, for deaf people, it's like 98%, right. right? They've got touch, they've got like, you know, taste, they've got smell, they've got these things, but like almost all they're getting is visual. So a deaf child who's asked to look down on their paper is instinctually should be more distractible. They should be looking up more because they're not going to hear somebody in the back right. of the room and be able to just like pause. So there, so these things of like attentional or focus or all these things. So um, people have for a very long time put kid, deaf kids into classes for kids with intellectual disabilities. They have denied deaf kids. Like deaf kids have been denied access to American Sign Language, uh, which of course stunts their right. development. You know, um, we, one of my favorite facts that I just think is so cute is, um, so all of the, when we do brain scan and this is, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here and not pulling off of the, of this article, but when we do, um, you know, functional MRIs on kids and we ask them to pull up their like language skills, right. When we do linguistic questioning, right. For young, young, young kids, when we do these fMRIs and we pull on language and we say words around them or, you know, see what's lighting up in their brain, um, deaf children who've been, uh, who've been, um, a, like enculturated with American Sign Language from birth, ASL lights up all of their all of their linguistic centers in the exact same way. They all of the things are the exact same. Their language development is on par with their typically you know with their hearing peers. Um, and one of my favorite things that's so cute is deaf children babble with their fingers. <laughs> yeah. Like it's very yeah, common yeah. for deaf kids to babble with their hands, right? Deaf kids make the same grammatical errors as hearing kids. So it's very common for a deaf child like to point, like uh, it's very common for hearing kids to confuse me and you because they're always addressed mm. as you. And so it's actually a very common like linguistic error to make, you know, developmentally, it's developmentally appropriate. And deaf children will make the same thing with pointing. 
where they'll think, oh, if I point, you know, if I point at you, it means me because that's the sign that you do when you right. point at me. Yeah. And so like you means me and me means you. Like these are very, very common things. So like brains of deaf people are normal. And this there's a great article that I'm, I'm not even going to fully go into that really just like breaks down all the ways in which like deaf kids are institutionally discriminated yeah. against because they like the system is not made right. for them. And in that, just like, you know, the American educational system is not made for people who are not straight and white and able-bodied and, I mean, you name it, slim. Yeah. Like, there, there's so many ways in which the system really is made for a very narrow type of person. And then we, you know, have, again, just a, a totally paralleled history of, like, within the deaf community of just being like, oh, if it's not for you, then it must mean something's right. wrong with you. Rather than saying that, like, the system, the system Right, is like, you wrong. need to change to fit the system, not the system needs to change. Yeah. I love that. I love that research, though, too. Like, language is language, right? Language is communication. Language is language. Yes. It makes total sense. Yes. And is, yeah, yeah. And I think, like, I actually really liked the parts of this movie that, like, you could see how her brain works, right? Like, she really... Yeah. Her first language is American, Sign, American language, Sign Language. And it is the best method for her to communicate sometimes. It is mm -hmm. the truest way, most genuine way for her to communicate sometimes because it is her first language. Yeah. And that is, you know, that's just, I, I just loved that. Yeah. Um, one thing that's fun is uh, the theater company that I was working with when I had done uh, the Spring Awakening was a company called Deaf West. And Deaf West is doing, I believe, a musical adaptation of Coda. Oh. Or at least a, a theatrical, at yeah. least a play adaptation of Coda. And I got to say, like, it's pretty cool to do a show where it's all spoken and signed. It's just like a totally accessible thing, but also like it weirdly like just works. Like it just works so well that it's one of those things where it really is. Um, it's so much more natural and intuitive than you yeah. think it is. Like it, it, it just sort of like sits in and it, um, it's really cool. It's really, really an amazing that's awesome. Dang. Yeah, I I loved this movie. I think, like, it's It's beautiful. a beautiful movie. Yeah. I think my only issues with this movie are just because I love this community so much that I'm just really protective. Like, I just... As, as you should be. I care and this so is much. also, like, this yeah. is true with any underrepresented communities. That when representation... Yeah. That when you start... Asking one film exactly. to represent an entire community is just not gonna work absolutely yeah but the film works i'm just saying it's not gonna like no film is gonna represent everybody and it doesn't have right to. when you have such so few examples of that representation it does put a lot of pressure on those it, those examples right and that's that's where the it tension does. and like oh like you know disclaimer or like let's just talk about it and name some of these things can be helpful yeah but they're oh my so, God, the incredible. cast is so good in this movie. Incredible. Um, incredible. It's interesting because the, you know, Marley Matlin as the mom, like is often the one who's like the most, you know, sheltered and the most like hesitant yeah. to engage in the world, which like for anybody who's ever seen Marley Matlin, which she's been on Grey's Anatomy and like just a million, you know, a million different things in a million different oh, ways. Yeah. She is so the opposite of this mom. 
Yeah. But like for her to be, you know, so timid is just very, because it's just so not who she it's is. It's not her. She's, yeah, so, totally. she's always been such an ambassador for the deaf community. Yeah. Um, in such an amazing way. Yeah. She got an Oscar a long I mean, time ago. I mean, yeah. Yeah, she's a big deal. Yay! We did it! We did it! Our this last, was fun. Uh, our last non-video recorded <laughs> podcast. Yeah. TBD. I, I gotta be camera ready next week. Gotta be camera ready. Yeah, so we're gonna try... Uh, that's... Uh, we're going to try to start putting these out on YouTube, uh, one, to make them available to a larger audience, but also to make them accessible to a larger yeah, audience. Yeah, like, what a what a great, like, you know, way to highlight, oh, yeah, we can definitely be doing better, <laughs> like, even yeah. just within our own medium, yeah. Even within our own medium. And so, um, you know, keep an eye out if y'all like to listen on, on YouTube. Um, I know some folks prefer that, to just have it on at their desk or different ways like that. Um, you know, it's also just another way for people to be able to comment and, and, you know, connect within the video and stuff, which I think is cool. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, it's a, one of the exciting things that we're looking forward to on the second season as we continue. Now yeah. that our sound is figured out, let's figure out video. You know? <laughs> let's add more. Let's add more. When in doubt, just do more. Do more. <laughs> yeah. I'm the parentified podcaster. Um <laughs> That's a joke if you listen to the episode because we talked about Yeah, you get it. That's a callback. Yeah, you get it. It's actually a callback. Uh, yay. All right. Well, I have been Dr. J.D. Barton. And I have been Dr. Joanna Whitkin. This has been another gorgeous episode of Real Psych. Please like, subscribe, tell a friend. Rate. Tell two Rate. friends. Tell two We're friends. We're doing it all out of order. We're doing everything however we want because we keep it real. Psych. We do keep it real. We do. <laughs> Truth. Not psych, psych. Psych. Psych squared. Love you all. Bye-bye. Bye. Next week. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.